0: You want to have integrity, you want to be able to live a coherent, cohesive life that is the same, you know, that's consistent. I have talked to many people who are adults, you know, who grew up in a Christian family who either, you know, never strayed from the path or, or maybe did briefly and came back. And oftentimes when I say, what was it that brought you back or what was it that kept you from straying? They will often say it was the consistency of my parents. It was the godliness of my parents just living out a real faith in front of me. I don't think there's any way that we could ever estimate how important that is within our, our lives that our children see us genuinely doing our best to to live in a way that pleases God.
1: Hi, you're listening to
0: the Xantaler Podcast.
1: Hi. My name is Zan Tyler, and this podcast is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. Homeschooling is an exciting adventure we take with our children. One of the most challenging parts of this journey is choosing the curriculum you want to use. BJU Press Homeschool is a curriculum you can trust. All the books, resources, and videos have been designed with you and your child in mind. Their curriculum is educationally robust and rich, taking into account that children have different learning styles, strengths, and needs. Mom, you are in charge. BJU Press Homeschool is here to come alongside and support you. Do you need help with the teaching load, or is there a subject you just don't want to teach? Their amazing video courses are available for all grades in almost every subject. BJU Press Homeschool believes that homeschooling can produce a new generation of students who know God, love their neighbors, and stand firm in their faith. For more information, go to BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com. Welcome to the Zan Tyler Podcast. I'm your host, Zan Tyler, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to welcome my good friend Israel Wayne to the podcast today, and I know you will all really be encouraged by him and what he has to say. Israel's a popular author and conference speaker traveling around the world to defend the Christian faith and a biblical worldview. He and his wife, Brooke, who is lovely, were both homeschooled and now homeschool their own very large family. Israel is the author of many, many books, including two that we're going to discuss today, Raising Them Up, Parenting for uh, Parenting for Christians, and Pitching a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting. So welcome, Israel, and thank you so much for being here.
0: Oh, thank you, Zan. I appreciate it very much.
1: It's just been such a pleasure to get to know you and Brooke mainly on the conference trail as we've run into each other at conferences, but I love watching you with Brooke and with your family. It's always just such a delight and you've been such a personal encouragement to me too over the years. So, you know, when I, when I look at you, um, Israel, I always think about two words. I think about redemption and grace because Mm -hmm. I see both of those things in your life. And you're so good at sharing those messages with us. So I know we said that both you and your wife were homeschooled, but I'd love for you just to start um, by telling us your story as a family and how you decided to homeschool.
0: Yeah, well, you know, my story is kind of complicated when I go back to my childhood My mother was one of the founders and pioneers of the homeschooling movement. She started homeschooling my older sister and myself in 1978. And um, unfortunately, though, my parents uh, divorced when I was six years old. And uh, then my mom, who was not a Christian at that time, remarried a guy who was uh, very physically abusive. And so I grew up in an abusive environment um, from about the age of six to the age of 15. And then, you know, I, I saw my dad probably one weekend a month on average um, during that time of growing up. And then, you know, when I became 15 um, through circumstances of, of life, my dad and I didn't really have a relationship after that through my adult years. And so um, I had to kind of figure some things out, you know, uh, getting, going into marriage, I didn't have a template so much for what to do as much as what not to do. Um, I had a template of of what a marriage shouldn't look like. I had a template of what fatherhood should not be through my toxic, abusive stepfather. And so um, when I was thinking about getting married, you know, I I went from the age of 15 to 23. And and during that time, I didn't date anyone. I just was really trying to figure out how to get my head on straight, you know. And and so uh, oddly enough, what I did was... um, Well, I should say this too. My mom got saved when I was 12. And that was kind of a big turning point uh, in our family and in our life. And she started publishing a national homeschool magazine the next year when I was 13 in 1988. She started that. And we started to learn a lot about what family was supposed to look like. But I read a lot of articles and books and went to conferences and seminars. And I would listen to speakers talk about marriage and family life. And so I had listened to hundreds of hours of teaching on biblical family life before I ever felt brave enough to move into marriage. And so my wife's family, of course, was much more stable Christian family. Um, She was also homeschooled. And so we had that in common. So by the time that we got married, we decided that we wanted to have a large family. We wanted to homeschool all of our children from birth. Uh, We have been blessed with 11 children so far. Um, Our oldest is 22. Our youngest is about 17 months, and we have uh, six girls and five boys. So, you know, God has really blessed me uh, with the family that I didn't get to have growing up. God has blessed me to be able to have a clean slate going into marriage. And, you know, I'm so thankful, as you said, for God's grace, because God gives us the ability to not have to repeat the cycle, to not have to parent in the way that we were parented to not have to have a bad marriage just because our parents did. And so our ministry is called family renewal. And the Lord laid that on our heart coming up on, you know, a decade ago. And it just has been interesting to see how a lot of people, because I come from a homeschooling background, they kind of assume that I also come from sort of a, a pristine a bubble. A perfect family. Yes. Yeah. The perfect family. Exactly. And, um, Because I didn't come from that background, it just has given me a lot of hope for the families that we work with who are struggling with lots of different issues and maybe feel like they'll never be able to, you know, experience God's grace in their situation because they weren't born into it. And that's the beautiful thing about God's grace.
1: I have to tell you this. I mean, I knew you for years. I mean, years before I ever heard your story. And it was interesting because hearing your story made your ministry so much more real to me Mm. because I was one of those people who thought, well, you know, I love Israel, but he was homeschooled and he grew up in this perfect family and he can't relate to the rest of us. And then I hear your story and it's such like I said earlier, such a story of redemption and grace. And it makes Everything you say so much more powerful, because like you say in one of your books, a lot of times history repeats itself. And by God's grace, you chose not to let that happen in your family. And it's such a testimony. So if you can break through the bounds of that, then I feel like there's hope for all of us.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. God's grace is not given to us based on our lineage, right? And that's we right. see that all through the Bible too. God just reaches down and he he picks people up out of terrible situations and says, I'm going to use you. And that's why we call it grace, right? Because we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's just God in his kindness finds us and extends his love to us. And the response that we should have for that is just gratitude. And, and I live with that perpetually.
1: You know, there's one of your quotes, I want to see, I think I wrote this down, um, that I love in your book. And I've read so many of your books lately. You're going to have, if you want to point out which book it was, that's great. Um, He can make something beautiful from all the mess. It necessitates Mm -hmm. absolute surrender. It takes throwing yourself on the mercy of God. But Mm -hmm. I just love that he can make something beautiful from all the mess, because there are a lot of days that all of us feel like a mess.
0: Yeah, we do. you know, And, and I think uh, in some ways when we hit those days where we feel completely and totally inadequate for the task in front of us, I think that's actually a really healthy and good place to be. Because what do you do in those moments? I mean, sometimes you literally like go in your bedroom, you close the door, you get on your face with your nose in the carpet and you cry out to God and say, God, I can't do this. And I think that's just a really healthy posture. <laughs> because the scripture tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so that person who recognizes that they're not all sufficient, that they're not capable, that they don't have what they need within themselves. uh, You know, you see those memes or bumper stickers, you know, I am enough. Well, it's just a humanist Mm -hmm. mantra. It's not a biblical concept. We're not enough. And that's really, I think when we come to that place where we recognize I'm not enough, um, and we see our need for Jesus, that's really where God's grace meets us. And we find that there's a power and there's a strength that comes from the life of Christ that flows in and through us, that enables us and equips us to be something that we can't be on our own in our our natural self.
1: And that, listen, that is so powerful. So I want to read a quote from one of your books so we can talk about it for just a minute. Um, one of the most tragic losses was the disintegration of the family culture, especially multi-generational. And um, I know we've talked about that a little bit just in terms of your own family and why you would have such a heart for renewing and restoring the family as your ministry is devoted to. But do you have anything else you want to say about that?
0: Yeah, you know, I think um, when you look at a nation, for example, and you think about the strength of a nation, I mean, you remember Alexis de Tocqueville, said that when he came to America and wrote about that in Democracy in America, that he came here and he said, the strength of America is in its churches and it's, it's in people, it's in the houses of worship, but the the church's strength is really made up of families, right? right. And so the church is only as strong as the family units and the individuals that make it up. And so when you have a breakdown of the family then you have a breakdown within the church, you have a breakdown within society. And so if you want to rebuild culture, if you want to rebuild civilization, you actually have to start with the thing that God told the Israelites at the very end of the book of Malachi, like the last chapter of the Old Testament. God was talking about how the nation of Israel had fallen into disrepair and was in a terrible place and he said that what needed to happen was parents needed to turn their hearts to their children and children, to the fathers and to the mothers. And, you know, that was the thing that was going to have to happen or God was going to strike their nation with a curse. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the curse really is just allowing the consequences of their choices to play out. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Like God just gives people over to the consequences of their choices. Um, Let me ask you this,
1: not to interrupt you, but were you at the Global Home Education Conference in Russia back in 2018?
0: I was at a precursor to that. So, yeah, I was at um, a little conference, homeschool conference in St. Petersburg um, that was sort of the lead up to the global conference in Moscow, but I didn't make it to the actual Moscow conference.
1: Okay, so I want to tell you this, because this was such a profound moment for me, and it just reminds me of what you just said. At one of the points in Moscow, we were in St. Petersburg, and then we went on to Moscow, uh, my husband and I did, and uh, one of the speakers was Father Dmitry, who is a Russian Orthodox priest. But he stood up. He was an elderly man. He looked like he was in his 80s. He's since gone to be with the Lord. But he said this He said, I am going to spend the rest of my years advocating for homeschooling because the way I see it is the only way to reinstitute our Russian families, and he talked about the total decimation of the family in Russia under communism, and we won't go into all of that now, but he saw hundreds of thousands of people killed and churches destroyed, and, and he said, because the only way to build a strong culture is to have strong families who build strong churches who build a strong russian culture. And it's exactly almost word for word what you just said. Excuse me for interrupting you, but that just that scene is just playing over and over in my mind. We've got to, you know, reinvigorate families.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the homeschooling movement is far different than how most people perceive it. Most people look at homeschooling as An academic choice on an educational smorgasbord. Hmm. And I don't look at it that way at all. I see the homeschooling movement as being a movement of God to turn parents' hearts back to their children. And in as much as that happens, uh, we see blessing. Hmm. We have seen phenomenal fruit over the last 40 years of the homeschooling movement as God has graciously done that, He's turned parents' hearts to the children and children's hearts to the parents, and we've seen an awakening, a spiritual awakening uh, that has been pretty unprecedented. And and I know you know you're a homeschool pioneer, and when when you started homeschooling and when our family started back in the late '70s, early '80s, um, there were just a handful of people doing it. I mean, you're talking right. about really you know a few thousand when it first started, and and now. You know, a lot of estimates put it up about 5 million students now post-COVID. So, yeah, with it's, post-COVID, it's a, it's I've
1: huge, heard you know, like 10 million from reputable yeah, sources. It's, it's it huge. depends,
0: you know, because a lot of people are doing these uh, these government at home programs mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, so you definitely get up into those numbers when you have some of the, the government homeschool hybrid situations. Uh, but probably for private homeschooling, we're, we're probably sitting around 5 million right now. Um, of those that are that are in homeschooling independently of the state, but it's it's just a, an amazing thing, and and I think you know even how God uses terrible things and finds a way to be redemptive inside of that. Uh, even the COVID situation, as horrible as that has been for the world, um, there has been an awakening that's happened within families where people for the first time had their children home. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. not for all families, but for many, many families, uh, there was a a kind of renewal that took place where parents realized like, wow, we have a blessed opportunity here and we haven't been making the most of it. And so we're grateful to see the hand of God in redeeming and restoring, you know, even out of the midst of a great difficulty uh, to bring something, something healing uh, out of that.
1: You know, I was at a conference, I was speaking at the, um, the, the Idaho, no, not the Idaho, the Iowa day at the dome capital day. And a new homeschool mom came up to me and she gave me permission to share a story. Her name was Annie. And she said, you know, my kids have been in church all their lives. And my kids have been in the public school district that we trusted. She said, then we started, um, homeschooling because of COVID. And I was appalled at what I was hearing on the virtual classes from this district I trusted. I just felt like I could no longer trust what was being taught anymore. And then she said, I'd always thought my daughter had a learning disability, but all the teachers said, no, she'll outgrow it. Well, since I was in charge this year, I took her to a specialist. And sure enough, the doctor said, well, she is dyslexic. It would have helped a lot if you had had her in three years ago. But then the final one, and this is what I thought about you, Israel, when she was telling me this story She said, um, my son, who is ADHD, and I think he's 11, looked at me one day and they're using a Christian curriculum. And he said, Mom, did you know that God is in history and God is in math and God is in reading? And he didn't say language arts, but that's what he was referring to. He said, God is in all of this. I did not know that till we started homeschooling this year. And she said, this was my son who had been in a church for 11 years. And so that kind of moves us into the whole discussion um, of biblical worldview and why that should be such an important part of our homeschooling as Christians.
0: I wrote a book called Education, Does God Have an Opinion? And it's kind of unique in the sense that I go through each of the different academic disciplines and I talk about what does this subject reveal about the nature and character of God? Hmm. Because I believe that the most important, most foundational principle in all of life is knowing God. Uh, John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So that's our primary purpose for existence is knowing God and Jesus Christ. And yet we have separated out the knowledge of God into this little re- religious sphere. Like the way that we learn about God is at church and in small group or in Sunday school or whatever. We have this little religious sphere, but God doesn't relate to all the rest of life. God doesn't have anything to do with physics. He doesn't have anything to do with engineering or, you know, the sciences or economics or whatever. And I, I've come to see that really differently, you know, over over time as I've studied apologetics and as I've studied philosophy that that really the, the reason that all of those disciplines work the reason that we have categories like logic and music theory and mathematics uh, the reason that you can have consistency and order and precision in the universe is because it's a created and ordered universe and so uh, all the creation including the the invisible things that we study you know Colossians 1 talks about that how, how Jesus Christ, created the visible things and the invisible things. So the physical world and the metaphysical world, everything was created by the Lord Jesus Christ and it reveals his nature, character and attributes. So we dare not take him out uh, of these spheres and act like he's not relevant to them. And so that book is quite unique in terms of really helping people to develop a a biblical philosophy. I love
1: the title of that book. Share that with our listeners again.
0: It's called Education, Does God Have an Opinion?
1: I, I, I love that title. That is the best title ever of a book. Well, listen, so we, we've talked a lot about the world as it is and the need for homeschooling in a biblical worldview, but I want to change the subject a little bit and talk about your book, Pitching a Fit, and tell me the subtitle again.
0: Yeah, it's Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting.
1: Okay. All right. And, so and to say
0: something about the book real quick. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, I explained my background. So coming out of a, a childhood of abuse and anger with my stepfather, um, I obviously inherited that, right? So that was something I had to learn how to deal with. And how do I not become my stepfather? How do I how do I not carry forward what I was raised with? But my dear wife who you know. Uh, and, and you know, I think anyone who knew Brooke would say Brooke couldn't possibly have an anger problem if she tried.
1: Yes, because and, she may uh, be the sweetest person on the <laughs> face of the earth. Yes,
0: okay. she, she truly is. And so when we got married, uh, you know, she would have said, I don't have an anger problem. But she she told me um, was we were talking about what book we wanted to write next. And we were discussing the idea for this book. She said it wasn't until I had a six year old, a four year old, a two-year-old and a baby that I found an anger problem (laughs) that I didn't have. (laughs) So, so we kind of write about that from two different viewpoints, you know, mine being like this really extreme situation of growing up with rage and abuse with my stepfather and her being in this, you know, Christian homeschooling family, you know, kind of normal functioning family and not having an anger problem, but then just the stress of, you know, having four children, six and under, and I always believe that's critical mass. Like that's, a, that's like, the most difficult season of, of all parenting. We have 11 children. It's so much easier having 11 than it was having a six year old, four year old, two year old, and a baby. That's just like as hard <laughs> as it gets. Uh, but anyway, we so I think the book is great because we both are able to kind of share our own perspectives on that.
1: That's right. And, because, and when you start homeschooling and you're all home together, whether it's two children or 11, you are going to have stress. I mean, you're, because you're together bumping up against each other. So, Israel, you got to tell. tell. Tell us the chicken story, the way you begin the book. I love this story because it's just such real life.
0: (laughs) Well, i have to make it short. Um, So we were getting ready to go on. I think it was a 30-day road trip as a family. We just got back from one of those, by the way. I speak at conferences and churches and family camps. And so a lot of times we'll just do a, a tour and be gone for a long time. And at this particular time we had chickens and we had arranged for a neighbor to come over and take care of the chickens and all that while we were gone so they didn't die but I had um I had told one of my children uh who was old enough to have been responsible and known better uh that they needed to make sure that the chickens were all fed before we left and taken care of right so I get out, we've got our, our trailer loaded, we've got our van, 15 passenger van, you know, everybody's in there, right? And I'm running around doing last minute details and I come out and I get in the vehicle and I look and there's this huge pile of like 50 pounds of chicken feed out in front of the garage door. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, and, and there's like 20 chickens all climbing on this mound of chicken feed, pooping all over it. And I'm just thinking to myself, are you serious? Like you, because you t- we have to like we're leaving. Right. And this was feed that was supposed to make it through the trip, you know, and all this kind of thing. I was so mad. I got out of the vehicle and I'm just thinking about how do I not just completely lose it here in this situation? Because I was so furious. And, uh, so I, I don't know. I paced out there outside the van for a very, very long time. I mean, like three minutes, you know, something like right. that, but just but it seemed everybody's like forever sitting at the time. It yeah. seemed like forever, but everybody's sitting in the van and like everybody knows this is not going to be good, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I finally call the, the child who did it out of the vehicle and I'm, I'm trying my best to be composed, but I'm just like, in what universe is this a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, and so, you know, and, and I didn't, I didn't lose it. You know, I didn't scream. I didn't, you know, I didn't cross any lines, but I was hot. I was really angry. And so I was like, get in, the, get in the van. And so I, I get in the van and I'm, I'm about to drive off. And then I realize that, you know, one of the habits that we have as a family before we go on a trip is we pray before we pull out of the driveway. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm in no mood to pray. I'm thinking God's not even going to listen to me right now uh, because I'm, I'm such a bad place. Um, and so, you know, I had to, it was a situation where I had to repent to my child and to say, you know, I just did not handle that well. Um, you know, obviously there's a right way and a wrong way to feed the chickens. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that was not the right way to do it, but I I need to respond in the right way. I need to respond in an appropriate way as well. And and the the thing about repentance that I've found is um it's it's not like a one-time thing where you get to do it once in your life and then you never need to do it again. Um especially if you have a family, if you're married or you have children, <laughs> you you get opportunities to go back and revisit that place again. And to just humble yourself and to confess and say, you know what, I did not do that well. I was wrong. And to to seek forgiveness. And you know, and, and the thing for us as parents is if we don't do that, then our children will completely lose respect for us. So it's yes. so important that we learn how to humble ourselves and confess our mistakes. Cause they know it. They know we blew it. It's not like, well, maybe maybe if I don't confess what I did wrong? Maybe nobody will re- nobody will remember or nobody will notice that I had that I was out of control or whatever. They they notice. It's just that you you have to repent for two reasons. Number one, for your own heart, right, because it keeps right, our hearts soft right, and moldable. Right. But then, secondly, if you don't, you lose respect of your children, and, and then you just don't have relationship.
1: Well, you know, in in your book, you talk a lot about being the same people at home that you are in public, and and you know it's really hard i mean you you do you just have to keep that leash short in terms of sinning against each other and um and keeping those relationships open because your kids know i mean boy you can ask any of my children whom i all love to death and would die for and my grandkids but they know me you know yeah. they yeah. they know me yeah, for sure. And so I love the part where you talk about, we just need to to pretend like there's a video camera rolling all the time. And
0: Yeah, and well, I you know, know in that. the age of pocket dialing, right? I mean, I've had situations <laughs> where people pocket dialed me and it was not pretty on the other end of the phone. People from my church, you know, and things like that. And you catch a whole glimpse that you don't <laughs> see on Sunday morning. And, um, you know, and, and what we don't want is we don't want our children to catch this you know well we live a different way when people are watching than our private lives you know that's we, right. we want to have integrity we want to be able to live a coherent cohesive life that is the same you know that's consistent and uh, i have talked to many people who are adults you know who grew up in a christian family who um who who either you know never strayed from the path or, or maybe did briefly and came back. And oftentimes when I say, what was it that brought you back? Or what was it that kept you from, from straying? They will often say it was the consistency of my parents. It mm-hmm. was the godliness of my parents just living out a real faith in front of me.
1: And not perfection.
0: Got a hold of me. Right, not perfection, exactly. But, but genuine, authentic, real mm-hmm. faith. And so I, I don't think there's any way that we could ever estimate how important that is within our, our lives, that our children see us genuinely, you know, doing our best to, to live in a way that pleases God. You
1: know, one thing, um, I, I don't want to let you get away, Israel, without talking about um, something you talk about, I think, in both of your books. The two factors that influence a child more than any other area are time and words of affirmation. And that's so close to my heart. That's something I write about and speak about. I would just love to hear you talk about that.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that bothers me so much is to see the lack of time that parents spend with their children. Um, The U.S. government just did a survey, a study um, in 2020, and they were asking how much time parents spend interacting with their children. And this is the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics. And they said that the average mom spends an hour a day interacting with her children and the average father spends 29 minutes a day. So these students spend about seven and a half hours a day in school. And then after school, they spend seven and a half hours in multimedia. And so you're talking about 15 hours of their 18 hour day is consumed with uh, being in school and being on devices. And mom gets an hour and dad gets 29 minutes. That will never balance out. And so since time is the most important factor in influence, if you want to influence a person, you have to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to think about how can we buy back time? How can Mm -hmm. we get back time? And so one thing that is kind of an obvious with that is a homeschooling family buys back an awful lot of time. So that's super helpful uh, in terms of building influence with your child. But then there's the question of what do you do with it? And I know so many mothers, especially, who are so stressed out. They are so overwhelmed, um, oftentimes trying to live up to the expectations of everybody else, trying to please everybody else, trying to live up to the standards that their neighbors or their in-laws or their parents or people in church have for them and the expectations of what their life is supposed to look like. They're just frazzled. They are... Defeated all the time because they feel like they never measure up, they never do enough, their children are not in enough activities, their children are going to miss out, and it's going to be all their fault, and their children are going to be failures in life, and just all this negative self talk and fears and all of that. And so they make this time that they have at home with their children just be a drudgery. And the children feel the stress from the parent, they feel that frustration and in their mind how they process it i'm sure it's not how the mothers want to communicate it but in their mind they feel like my mom hates her life she's angry she's frustrated she feels like she's a failure and it's all because of me and if i was just in school then all this would go away and so the child internalizes that they put it all on themselves and they feel like i am responsible for my mother's unhappiness, which is not the case, right? But it damages relationships so deeply. We all wanna be loved, we all wanna be affirmed, we wanna be accepted. We all wanna be part of something bigger than us, which is why people join social clubs and fraternities and organizations and all of that. They they wanna be part of a community. Well, the family is our most basic community and we all wanna fit into that. And when you don't have love and acceptance from the parents within the family structure, then youth go find it somewhere else. They'll find it from a teacher. They'll find it from a peer group. They'll find it from a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They'll find it from a gang, from a cult. Like there's a whole bunch of places that young people will go to try to find love and acceptance, many of which are negative. And so we believe very strongly that the first place where children need to know that they are valued and loved and affirmed needs to be in the home verbalized consistently from the parents.
1: Um, Tell us a little bit about how you use words of affirmation with your children. I'm a words of affirmation gal, so that's so important to me. So I just would love to hear just some of the things you and Brooke do with the kids to provide that.
0: I remember being on an airplane one time and I was sitting next to a public school teacher and she found out that I was a homeschooler and the conversation started to turn hostile because she <laughs> she said, if you want to know what I think about homeschooling, I think it's child abuse. And I was like, oh, great. I've got four and a half hours here to San Francisco. It's going to be a long flight. <laughs> so so I tried to turn the the conversation around to put it in a more positive direction. I found out she had a 12-year-old daughter and I said, so what are some things that you do to try to like?" build relationship with your daughter? How do you help her make choices? How to sort through just all the difficulty of growing up and all that. And she, she kind of brushed me off. She said, look, I've told my daughter, I don't care what you do. I don't care who your friends are. I don't care what music you listen to. I don't care what movies you watch. I don't care what you do. As long as you make good grades, as long as you make good grades, we're good. That's all I care about. Hmm. I was like, wow, that's like, but for many parents, my point with that, for many parents, the, le- the bar of acceptance for their child is performance-based. Huh. And so I try to make sure that my words of affirmation are not primarily based on performance. Like, oh, you really did a good job building that. Or that's a really pretty picture you drew. Or, you know, yeah, you got a 97 on that test. I want to try to make sure that the words of affirmation that I share primarily are centered on who they are as a person and to enforce the value that they have just because they are loved by God, because they're created in his image, and because they are my child. And so I will often say things like, I love you so much. I'm so thankful that you are my son or you're my daughter. Uh, I can't imagine what our family would be like without you being a part of it. You bless us in so many ways. You bring so much joy to our home, to our family. I try to say things that are more about their personhood than about their performance. And um, because, you know, there are some of those challenging, difficult children that sometimes you actually have to really reach for something to praise them for that they did well right? Because some of them can just be like train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. And so if your words of affirmation are always predicated on waiting for them to have done something good, sometimes there's going to be huge long stretches where they don't hear anything positive from the parent. And that's not good. So I want to affirm my love for them, even when they're not doing well, even when they're not behaving well, to reaffirm and reestablish um, our our love and commitment to them. And that, that even in times when we have to correct them or discipline them, it's for their good. I mean, Hebrews 12 talks about how God disciplines us for our good. God doesn't mm-hmm. discipline us because he, he gets some joy out of it. He does it because it's necessary. It's for our good. I think our children need to know that, that we are for them. You know, that mm-hmm. we, the things that we do, even when they don't feel like we're for them, ultimately we're doing it because we really want what's best for them. And if they know that, if they feel that uh, and they buy into that, then we're going to have influence and we're going to be able to have uh, the kind of relationship we want to have with them when they are adults, uh, not the kind of relationship where they don't want to see us anymore and they don't want to talk to us.
1: Well, Israel, I could talk to you about your books forever, but I think we're going to need to close. Before we do, tell people where they can find you.
0: We would love to have people visit our website, which is familyrenewal.org, familyrenewal.org. You can also catch us on social media, wherever you hang out on social media. Just look up Israel Wayne uh, or Family Renewal. and We'd love to connect with you there. We also have a podcast. Um, in fact, I've interviewed Zan on my podcast. If you, if you go to uh, just anywhere you listen to audio podcasts, you can look up Family Renewal. Or we have a YouTube channel for that as well. You can just go to YouTube and look up Family Renewal Podcast. and Maybe type in the episode with Zan Tyler and you can hear me talk to her. And you can learn more about Zan. Uh, In this podcast, she's talking to other people, but it'd be great for you to be able to hear more about her background and learn about her as well. Uh, So those are some great ways uh, to connect. And if anybody's interested in having me speak at your church, your conference, your family camp, or uh, some type of event, uh, we have a contact button on our website. We would love to be able to hear from you and hopefully um, come speak in your area.
1: Well, that is so great. Israel, thank you so much for being with us today. You are always such an encouragement. And you have been that in my life for a long time. And I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, that's mutual. Thank you, Zan.
1: Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this was encouraging and inspiring for you. If you would like more information, you can find me at com. Until next time, see you later.